Instead of looking for a relationship you don't have, why don't you make the relationship you have into the relationship you want? Here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you today on this subject. To this you were called. To this you were called. And yes, I am specifically speaking to those in the house today who are married. Because I believe what we need to do is we need to look at marriage as a calling. As a calling. And that we also need to look at that person that we are married to in the sense that we are called to that person. When Jamie and I got married, I was, I was very clear. I was very upfront with her. I know what God's plan and purpose is for my life. I'm called to be in full-time ministry. I'm called to be a pastor. And I need you to feel called to that as well. Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't feel called to this, you won't last in this. And if you don't feel called to your marriage then your marriage will not last. But if you look at your marriage as a calling, then I believe that marriage will last longer and that marriage will be more fruitful, more enjoyable, and more successful. That's what Paul was talking about. And we're going to go back to the same chapter we looked at last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And notice what Paul says beginning at verse 17. We left off at verse 16 last week. But this week, Paul says this. He said, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Now, how are we supposed to live in every situation that the Lord has assigned to us? We are to live as a believer. And as I said last week, there were a lot of pagan people in the Corinthian church or people who had come out of paganism in the Corinthian church. And so when they were saved out of paganism, when they became followers of Jesus, then they felt like that if their spouse did not follow suit, if their husband or their wife did not become followers of Jesus as well, that they were to leave their spouse, that they were to divorce their spouse. But Paul says, no, no, no. He said, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them. So when you come to Christ... When you are called out of darkness into light, that doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to go and quit your job. That means that you are to go back now and live as a believer in that situation that you've been assigned to. It doesn't mean that you are to walk away from your unbelieving spouse. It means that you're to go back to that situation and to live as a believer in that assignment that God has given you. Now, let me, let me just say this. Did you know that your spouse is your special assignment? Now, if your spouse is here this morning, I want you to look at them and I want you to say that to them. You are my special assignment. I know I've separated some from their spouses up here today. You can tell them after church. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're not married, but maybe you're sitting by somebody who might be a potential prospect. So why don't you look at them and say, how would you like to be my special <laughs> assignment? <laughs> but here's what, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying rather than trying to change the person in the situation that you are in, rather than trying to change them, why don't you accept that as an assignment 
from God, that they are your assignment. And he said, live as a believer in whatever assignment or whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them. And we're going to focus on that word called today. And we're going to see that marriage is a calling, that we need to look at our marriages as a calling. And Paul said that this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. He said, was a man already circumcised when he was called? And circumcision here was an external sign of the covenant that they had made with God in the Old Testament. And so if you were a, a, a Jewish person and uh, in Judaism, but you came out of Judaism and you became a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what he's referring to here. He said, were you circumcised when you were called? If so, he said, he should not become uncircumcised. I don't even know how you do that. I, I don't really know what the procedure for that is. And I didn't do a lot of exegetical study to find out on this scripture. But it says, was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. And then he says, was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Because what they were saying to the church in Corinth was that if you do become a believer, if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, men, then when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you must be circumcised according to the law. You must be circumcised. Now, boy, that would make a membership class, wouldn't it? If I took guys through a membership class and said, listen, we expect you to show up, we expect you to serve, and oh, by the way, uh, we also expect you to be circumcised. No, I believe our church would be much, much smaller than it is right now if that was the requirement. But he said no. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. All it is is an external outward symbol of a commitment that you have made to be a follower of Christ in your heart. That's what it was in the Old Testament. In marriage, we talked about it last week, that the symbol of that covenant is a ring and how easy it is with this ring to take it off and put it on to take it to a pawn shop or eBay or Facebook marketplace and sell it you see marriage is more than just the exchanging of rings it's more than just the external symbol of wearing a wedding band notice he goes on and he says keeping God's commands is what counts and that goes for any area of our life, especially in our marriages. It's not just the fact that you have a ring on your finger, that you've made a commitment to another person, but it's keeping God's commands in that marriage and keeping God's commands in that relationship. He said each person, he says it again, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? And a slave then was different than what our idea of a slave would be it was someone who willingly worked for another for uh, to, to, and, and, and to receive wages from that and he said were you a slave when you were called he said don't let that trouble you although if you can gain your freedom do so and then he goes and he says this for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person in other words it's not your external circumstances that has you in bondage 
It's not your external circumstances that has you miserable. What's, what's got you miserable, what has you unhappy, is not your external circumstances. It's what's going on on the inside of you. And he said, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Now, you may externally look as if you are a slave to someone, but that's not who you are in Christ. You are the Lord's freed. And then he said this. He said, the one who was free when they were called is Christ's slave. So all of us, when we come to Christ, we have a master. And that master is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are his servants. We are his bond slaves. And then in verse 23, he says, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So today, we're going to look at a message entitled, To This You Were Called, speaking specifically about marriage. Because what happens if we're not careful when we go into a marriage relationship is we go into it trying to change the situation or trying to change that person in the situation instead of praying and saying, God, what I want you to do is I want you to change me in this situation. Because sometimes God will not change your situation and God will not change your circumstances until he can change you and then he might change your circumstances and your situation. So when it comes to marriage and being called to marriage, and here's, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this at the top of that sheet of paper, I am called to. And then we're going to look at several things this morning that we're called to, and I'll go through these quickly. But here's the first thing that I am called to in my marriage. I am called to carry your burdens. When I married Jamie, I was called to help carry her burdens, not to become another burden to her. Does that make sense? Because if we're not careful, when we get married, and as we've been in marriage for a while, rather than trying to lighten the load of our spouse, we just become another burden to our spouse. I can remember early on in our marriage, after we started having children, we had two little boys, both of them pretty much in diapers at the same time. And it was, uh, it was, it was quite a challenge. And you know, sometimes if we're not careful too, we think, well, because the wife is a full-time mom and she stays home and watches the kids that she doesn't really have a job, a full-time job. Oh, but boy, that changes real quick if you have to stay with those kids for a couple of days, doesn't it, guys? You realize mom does have a full-time job. My, my son and my daughter-in-law was with us recently for about six weeks as they were in transition, moving and relocating to Ohio for a new job. And for about six days of the time that they were here, Jamie and I had our grandsons by ourselves. Man, I got reacquainted with poopy diapers and pee-pee diapers and, you know, guarding yourself when you're changing diapers and trying to feed two at the same time. Uh, and and, and you, you realize what kind of work goes into raising children. I can remember when, when we'd not been married long and she had been home with the kids all day and I would come home and I'd be like, what are we having for dinner tonight? 
You know, rather than coming in and saying, what can I do to help? I know you've been at home all day with the kids that have probably been driving you crazy, you know, and I know we love them. I know we love our children. You know, I know what the Bible says, you know, that the man whose quiver is full of them, blessed is he. Yeah, I know all of that. I know all of that. But how many of you know, sometimes they can feel like a burden. And when I would come home, rather than trying to lighten her load, sometimes unintentionally, I was becoming another burden to her. Here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. He said, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? The law of Christ says love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul tells us the inspired word of God tells us that when we carry our spouse's burden or anyone else's burden that we are fulfilling the law of God that we are loving God and we are loving our spouse at the same time but then he goes on and he says this in verse 5 he said for each one should carry their own load now it sounds like he's contradicting himself doesn't it it sounds like first of all he's saying well carry one another's burdens but then he comes back and says but hey carry your own load because you see there are some things that only your spouse can do. And when you try to do for your spouse what only your spouse can do for themselves, that becomes enabling, and enabling is not good. But what we should do is we should be what Christ was to us. Because when Christ came, he saw how burdensome the law was. He saw how wearisome people were becoming by trying to keep all 613 of the Old Testament laws. And so he looked at those weary some burdened down people one day and he said to them hey come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light aren't you thankful that when Jesus came Jesus did not become another burden to us but what Jesus did is he took brick after brick after brick after brick out of the load that we were carrying and he lightened our load and that's the way it should be in marriage carrying one another's burdens lightening their load not becoming more of a burden to them here's a second thing that I'm called to and that is that I'm always called to assume the best about my spouse because if we if we're not careful let's face it we can assume the worst we get a look how many of you know what the look is? You can get a look. Or you hear something that was said or the way that it was said. And you automatically take it personally. You see, every, everything that, that is done or everything that we hear from our spouse, we filter it through by how much we think our spouse loves us, cares for us, values us, honors us. And sometimes when we get a look, we interpret that and we immediately think, she don't love me. She doesn't respect me. She doesn't honor me. If so, she would not have said that. And she would have not have said it in that way. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 4 and 8. He said, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, 
Whatever things are what? True. So many times our assumptions are not true. Our assumptions are lies. Our assumptions are false. Your spouse could have just had a bad day. But what do we want to do? We want to make it about us. It's about me. She's upset with me. She doesn't care about me. She's dishonoring me. Not thinking about what kind of day she may have had that caused her to give that look or him to give that look to begin with. Or to say what they said the way they said it to begin with. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true. And can I tell you that most of the time our assumptions are not correct? That our assumptions are false? Because I don't believe that most marriages are out to get one another, out to hurt one another. I don't believe that. I believe that most marriages and most people in marriage, they love each other. They care about each other. And they don't intentionally do things to hurt one another. Now, I don't know. Maybe you're at that point in your relationship to where you are trying to hurt each other. Are you trying to bring one another down with your words or with your deeds? But so many times our assumptions are false. They're untrue because we're looking through the wrong filter. He said, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, he said, meditate on these things. In other words, assume the best. Think the best. Because how many of you know it doesn't take long for a little thought to become a big thought? And a little issue to become a big issue in your relationship. That's why the Bible tells us in Solomon chapter 2 verse 15. Catch all the foxes, those little foxes. Because foxes are easier to catch when they're small. They're easier to catch when they're little. And he said catch those little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love. For the grapevines are blossoming. you got to attack those little things early in your relationship. Don't sweep them under the rug. Don't refuse to deal with them. Go ahead and deal with those small issues now early in your marriage or even if you're later in your marriage and you haven't dealt with those little things, you need to deal with them because those little foxes will grow up to be big foxes and once they become big issues in your life then your marriage is going to have a whole lot more trouble trying to recover from that. And he says that you've got to attack the little boxes while they're small. Proverbs 19 and 11 says this, that a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to do what? Overlook an offense. Well, I know how she looked at me, or I know how he looked at me, but I could be offended by that. But wisdom says, don't go there. Overlook it. I know, I know what he or she, she said, and I know how they said it. I know what they did or didn't do. But don't go there. Wisdom yields patience. You see, here's what we've got to remember. We've got to remember that our spouse, just like us, we are still in process. None of us are perfect. And we're still maybe going to do things sometimes unintentionally or say things sometimes unintentionally or look at each other at some time un- unintentionally. That, that could possibly offend, but wisdom says that we have patience with that person because we know they're still in process. We know that they are not intentionally trying to do something to offend us, and so it is to one's glory, and it's also to the glory of your marriage to overlook an offense. 
So I've got to assume the best. Here's a third thing that I'm called to do in my marriage. I am called to live with contentment. And oh, isn't this huge in this culture of comparison? Nothing will destroy contentment in your life and nothing will destroy contentment in your marriage like comparison. When you begin to think everybody's got it so much better than I have it and everybody else's marriage is so much better than my marriage. Listen, instead of looking for a relationship you don't have, why don't you make the relationship you have into the relationship you want? Now that's tweetable right there. Why don't you work on making the relationship that, in the, that you are presently in be the relationship that you want? No, it's not going to come easy. Yes, it's going to be hard work. But it would teach all of us well if we would learn to put time and energy and effort into our relationship becoming what we desire it to become. Look at what the word of the Lord says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Here's what Paul said. He said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Anybody there yet? Content, happy, joyful, satisfied. And he said, I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances. Listen, if you're waiting for your circumstances to change, you might be waiting for a while. If you're waiting for your circumstances to change in order to be content and happy, you might be waiting for a while because sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Some of you married people need to help me this morning. I feel like I'm out here on an island all by myself. I know you're sitting by your spouse and maybe you're afraid to say amen. But help me a little bit. This morning, Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And he goes on and he says this. He said, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, ladies, I just want to tell you something about us men. And I wish that Jamie were here today so that she could maybe speak from the perspective of the women in the house. But let me just tell you something about us guys. Many times we feel like we're failing. Not just in our marriage, but in other areas of our lives. If we fail at anything, we feel we're failing at everything. That's just kind of the way we are. And so when we recognize that you aren't happy, When you aren't content, we can take that personally. And I'm sure that you ladies in the house probably feel the same way with your husband. But we can feel like we're failing as providers if we don't see that you're happy in your circumstances, that you're content in your circumstances. We wonder, what are we doing wrong? Well, what, what, what more could we do in this relationship to help our spouse to become more content? And I know sometimes we look at this and we think, well, that's impossible. In our circumstances, there's just no way that we can be truly content. Yes, there is. And Paul tells us how we do it. He says, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we understand that contentment doesn't come from our circumstances. And really, contentment doesn't even come out of our marriage relationship. But where true contentment comes from is through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one who can meet the needs of 
of your life that no one else can meet but him. Contentment goes so much deeper than your physical needs. It goes so deep into your emotional needs. And only God can truly meet the emotional needs of our lives. And so if we're looking to another person trying to find contentment, we will never marry. We will never find it. But Paul said, I can do it because I can do these things. I can be content because it is Christ who strengthens me. It is Christ who fulfills me. It is Christ who gives me my joy and my satisfaction and my fulfillment in life. Oh, somebody ought to thank the Lord that he loves us that much. Here's the fourth thing. I am called to let God be God. Called to let God be God. Because if we're not careful, we get into a marriage relationship, first thing we try to do is change our spouse. We try to play God and change that other person in the relationship. When we ought to be praying, Lord, Fix me. Lord, work in me. When our boys were, were younger and they were sharing a room, you know, we would, we would tell them, we'd say, boys, go to your room, clean up your room. And they'd go to their room to clean up their room and it wouldn't be no time, you know, you would hear crying, screaming, like a fight had just happened and you go in there and you'd find the younger one, Caleb, you'd find him laying on the floor, squalling and crying and we'd look at him and say, what, what happened? Micah hit me. Micah, why did you hit your brother? Because he wasn't cleaning up his part of the room. He was playing and not cleaning up his part of the room. And I would look at him and I would say, but Micah, your bed isn't made. Your toys are still out on the floor. Your stuff is still scattered around the room. And then if I said it once, I said it 10 times. Let me be the daddy and you be the kid. Now, how many times do you think Father God looks down from heaven and he sees his children, husband and wife, fighting? Well, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. Well, what about you? You haven't done what you're supposed to do either. And I can just hear Father God up there saying, hey, would you stop trying to change the other person and just be and do who I've called you to be? And if you won't, don't make me have to come down these stairs and take care of you because I will if I have to. You see, we've got to learn how to let God be God in that situation in our relationship. And listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He said, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Notice, he said it begins when we come to the Lord with transparency, with openness, saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And then we look into the mirror of God's Word. And when we look into the mirror of God's Word, who do we see? We see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, it says that we are then to be transformed into that image of Christ that we saw in the Word of God. But how does that transformation take place? Not by nagging your spouse. That is not how it happens. But how that transformation takes place is just as by the Spirit 
Spirit of the Lord. There is only one person who can change in the innermost being each and every one of us. And it is the Holy Spirit of God. And what we need to do is we need to just be Jesus to our spouse. But we need to let God be God. And let God change what we could never change in a million years. God can change it overnight. If somebody believes that this morning, say amen to it. Amen. I'm called to let God be God. Here's the fifth thing. I'm called to encourage your strengths. And that's so important. Because we think that our calling is to make you aware of your weaknesses. Or to at least expose your weaknesses. But we are called to encourage your strengths. If you want your spouse to be a winner, give them a win. Encourage, praise them about something they did right. Well, my husband don't do anything right. Well, did he come home from work? Celebrate, you came home. Celebrate that. If you want them to be a winner, point out, celebrate, a win. Listen to what Paul, and Paul gives us so much advice here in Ephesians 4.29. He said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may what? Benefit those who listen. Let me tell you what your words are to your spouse or what they should be to your spouse. Your words should be a gift to your spouse. Your words should not be words that tear down But your words should be words that build up, that encourage. In other words, you should be to your spouse, you should be your spouse's CEO. You're like, pastor, they already are. I'm not talking about chief executive officer. I'm talking about your chief encouraging officer. Your spouse should be your biggest encourager. You should be the biggest encourager of your spouse. I've had people ask me, Pastor, do you have anybody who tells you when you don't preach good? Yes, I do. Me. Matter of fact, about one out of five times I walk off of this stage, I feel like I blew it. I feel like I didn't connect. That's just the way it is. And when I walk off of this stage, you know what? I don't have to hear from 100 people or 200 people or 300 people or 400 people or 500 people. I don't need your likes on Facebook. I only need one like. And it's that lady that sits on this front row right here every Sunday morning. And if you get the right like from the right person, you don't care what everybody else thinks. Amen? Amen. And I know I'm using a social media analogy there. But if you get the right like from the right person, and the right person in your life is your spouse, you should encourage one another with your words. Your words should strengthen. Your words should build up. That word encourage means to put courage back into something. Something that's lost courage. And there's no way to put courage into someone than to speak encouraging words into their life. And that is what you and I are called to as spouses is to encourage their strengths their strengths and I'm gonna I'm just gonna be honest with you. my wife is awesome at this she is so much better at this than I am I could be so much more encouraging to my wife but she is my CEO she is my chief encouraging officer that even when I feel like I 
blew it. Even when I feel like I preached my worst, or even when I feel like I just did my worst at something, she comes along beside me, and man, when she done talking to me, I feel like I could change the world. Encourage, and then here's the last thing. You are called to do it anyway. All these things that I just shared with you this morning, if you think you're only supposed to do them when you feel like it, it'll never get done. And all of these things that I talked to you about here this morning, if you think that you're only supposed to do it when your spouse deserves it, then there'll be a lot of times when you don't. Do it anyway, whether you feel like doing it or not. You remember what Paul said as the team comes this morning to close us in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, agape love. The God kind of love, unconditional love that says, well, I'll do this if you'll do that. No, I'll do this regardless of what you do. And how many of you know that God loves us perfectly? God doesn't say, I love you if, I love you or. God just says, I love you. His love for us is perfect. And you've heard me describe the perfect love of God before. That it doesn't matter what you do, you cannot make God love you any more or any less than he does right now. Did you hear me? Because if that were the case, if your works could cause God to love you more or love you less, then his love wouldn't be perfect. But his love is perfect. And wouldn't it be awesome if we loved one another like that? There's nothing you could do, nothing you could say. No way you could look at me that would cause me to stop loving you. And Paul said it like this. He said, because love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. Maybe I need to read that again. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, you don't say, I've forgiven you. And then six months later, what you forgave them of, boom, you pull it out of your arsenal. And you're like, oh yeah, well, what about when you did so-and-so or when you said so-and-so? Well, I thought you forgave me for that. Well, 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 I did, but you made me mad. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Here's what I want you to see in verse seven. It always, everybody say always. always. It always protects, always, say it again. Always. Trust, always hopes, always perseveres. When? Always. Whether I feel like it or whether I don't, always. Always. That's covenant. That's calling. That's marriage. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest? 
one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God, I look forward to personally meeting you.